pray for me that I keep my hands still. <clears throat> Kath gave me the advice, advice I need as well to slow. So I'll try to be slow and I'll try to hold the mic near my face so we can hear what's going on today. I'm excited to bring the word today. Hopefully what I will try to do is build on what Pastor Mark sort of spoke about last week, which is some real foundational truths and stuff. I think that it's important for us to know our foundations because that's how we make all of our decisions in all of our life, yeah? So I, I sort of today, hopefully I will sort of bring to you um, a foundational truth, but hopefully I'll be able to sort of just again maybe bring a new sort of fresh eyes and way to look at it. I was recently reading a Bible study by um, Francis Chan, um, it was a sort of daily sort of devotional and you read it and stuff, but it sort of challenged me and it challenged me to think about what is important to God. There's many, many things that go on in life and there's some things that probably go on in a daily life that we think go unchecked, but the reality is I think there are some things that are very important to God, okay, things that are sacred to God, things that he cares about, okay, and I'm going to start off with three um, stories or three verses from the Bible and they're very challenging verses. Yeah, they're not those sort of ones that tell you how much God loves you, even though I think in, in when you look into it and stuff like that, there is certainly God's love in it and stuff. So let's just start to read these three and we'll hopefully have a little look at them. First one is in 2 Samuel 6, 7, 6 to 7. I hope Pat doesn't keep up. He always keeps up with me and then I show how poorly I read them. Okay, so this is talking about when they're transporting the, the Ark of the Covenant from one place to another. It says, when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, um, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irrelevant, irrelevant act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died beside the ark of God. That's the first one. Next one is in Acts 5, 1 to 5. This is Ananias and Sapphira. Sapphira? Sapphira, sorry. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, sorry, can't say that properly, also sold a piece of property. This is when the church was first starting out and they're all meeting together and they're all pooling their sort of resources. With his wife fully, um, sorry, with the wife, sorry, I'll start and go slow. <laughs> with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back a part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it into the apostles' feet. Okay, bringing his offering of selling his house to the, the apostles. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept, from yourself, kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before you sold it? And after you sold it, wasn't the money at your disposal? Your house, you sold it, do whatever you want with it. But don't say that you're giving it all to God, yeah? Wasn't it at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have lied, you have, you have not just lied to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and a great fear came over the people. And later on in the story, his wife comes, hears the story, says, yes, I gave you all the money, and she does the same. The last one I want to look at is in 1 Corinthians. hope this is uplifting this morning. Everyone feeling good, yeah? <clears throat> Let's just find another one, shall we? 1 Corinthians 11, 2 to 26 to 30. For whenever you eat this bread, so this is Paul talking about taking communion. 
For whenever you eat and then drink of the bread, sorry, the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Yeah, this is communion, what we do all the time. So when whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord and in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is why many among you have become weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. That's a nice way of saying some of them died. Pretty hectic stories, yeah? And I think that when you first read these stories, you think, whoa, that's a bit harsh, yeah? Really quite harsh, really, isn't it? The first one, yeah? The Ark of the Covenant was falling and all he did was actually stop it from falling to the ground and then he touched it and then he died. Even though it was a commandment not to touch the Ark of the Covenant, you'd think, okay, it's falling. It's probably not a bad thing for it to smash, so he's held it. And again, the next story, whoever's withheld a bit of money from church, (laughs) not put in all of their tithe, yeah? Or the last one, yeah, where if you get distracted while you're having communion, it's really not a very good thing. And Paul actually said to some of the people, because you're distracted or not thinking correctly when you take communion, bad things have happened. The punishment seems to far outweigh the crime. And you might think to yourself, what's God doing? Why does God act like this? But again, I think we need to examine ourselves. Why do we feel this way? And Chan suggests that some of us don't understand what it is for, God, for things to be sacred to God. What are things that are important to God? There are things that belong to God, things that are sacred to God, yeah? Some of these things are the Ark of the Covenant, the commandments he gave to Moses, the offerings in the temple, the Holy Communion, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Church. And again, I think if you look at these stories, there is a common theme, and it is God's presence on earth. That's what he cares about. Okay, And again, let's just remind ourselves about who we're talking about. In 1 Timothy 6.16, it says, Who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has, has seen or can see, to him be honour and the mighty forever. Amen. This is who we're talking about. We're talking about God who is light that you can't. And if there's any stories in the Bible where God, people have met God, or even gone near him and stuff, they usually end up prostrate on the ground. Yeah? But this is not the way it always was. There was a time when we dwelt with God. Let's have a quick look at that. Yeah? So, yeah. So this restriction to God was not always the way it was, yeah? Adam and Eve walked with God in the, in the Garden of Eden, but then we've got to remember now that we're in a fallen world, yeah? This, this dwelling was sort of cut off. In Genesis 3, 2 to 3, it says, The woman said to the serpent, it's Adam and Eve, this is Eve talking to, to the serpent, yeah? <clears throat> we, may eat, we may eat of the fruit in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you may not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die. The serpent says to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened 
and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Yeah? So we will become like God. So why do we react to things when we read in the Bible and it seems really over harsh? Because we're judging it from our point of view. We're judging it from us being the, the ultimate sort of understanding of everything and knowing that that's a wrong act. Yeah? And this is sort of what has led on. Yeah, we have sort of, I think we are in this sort of broken world and this is what we all do. We all sort of are the people who sort of judge what is right and wrong. And again, thankfully in the past, though, people cried out to God and he said, yeah, okay, I'll restore it. And he restored it in the beginning with his Ark of the Covenant and he built a holy temple. Okay, but only the high priest could even go into the temple and actually access God. And they could only come in at certain times in certain ways. Okay. And when you look at further on in the Bible, the Israelite nation, what did they always want to chase after when they were scattered because of their disobedience? They wanted to get back and build the temple again. Why? Because they wanted to get back into the presence of God. And even Christ himself cared about the, the, the church. Okay, there's a story in Matthew 21, 12 to 13, where he throws over the tables because people were doing the wrong thing in the church. He cared about it. And in fact, the main reason that Christ is sent to the cross is because of why? Because he says, I'm going to tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. He's going to sit at the right hand of God. He is going to be in God's presence all the time because he is the son of God. That's what offended everyone so much. That's how come he went to the cross is because he said, I'm going to sit with God in his presence. So yeah, so I think that the reality is being in God's presence is a huge thing. And I think to God it is a huge thing. And again, I think when we look at these stories and stuff, people rushed in to things that they either didn't understand or they didn't sort of respect. And could it be that when we read these stories, it shows us how much God cares about his presence on earth, how important it is and how sacred it is to him? Yeah, Because when we judge it from our point of view, it sounds really harsh what happens. So I think in keeping that in mind, let's read this next verse. This is in Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. By the way, I do lots of scriptures. I apologize to everyone if that's too much and I know that I probably rushed through them but please look them up or come and ask me if you want to look at them in more in depth this is Paul talking about Paul talking to people consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone in him, the holy building is joined together and raises to become the holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are, build, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We are that temple now. Yeah? Sometimes I think, oh, we're coming to church. But the reality is we are that temple now. We are that place. We join together in this place and we become that temple that everyone sort of strove to get to, that God cares so much about. I think to yourself, if you think about it, is there any greater honour to be part of God's church? I don't really think so. When you think about all of the things that you can do with your life, I think to be part of God's house is a huge thing. And when was the last time you actually sat down and were a bit awestruck by that, that, that you were part of Christ's body? When did we actually sit back and go, wow, that's, un is, that's an unbelievable privilege, Yeah? Take a moment, really. In Ephesians 5.29, it says, For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Yeah? We join with Christ to, sort of, to, to bring that sort of godly presence to this earth. I think that's a good thing. 
And again, it's a profound mystery. In Ephesians, just a bit further on, um, it's, it's, Paul says, this, is a, the, is a mis- this mystery is profound, and I say that it, um, that it is in reference to Christ and the church. We become part of a temple that transcends time and space. Yeah? And because we are the temple, he dwells with us when we meet together. Yeah? So we get to bring that presence of God wherever we are. Yeah? Just think for a moment. We don't come to church. We are the church. Yeah? This is a building. It's a building. The reality is we are the church. Us and God in us. That's a bit different, isn't it? Makes you think a little bit. <clears throat> and he really cares about that. Now, that's encouraging and also challenging. Paul gives a warning, as Paul always does. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, he says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your mists? I like that he agrees with me sometimes. <laughs> if anyone... That was a joke, sorry. If anyone destroys the temple... God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and, um, and you are together that temple. Okay? So Christ really cares about this. Okay? He cares when we meet together. And it makes you think about how we interact with each other and how we talk about each other and how we think about each other. I'm going to read a little bit from um, Francis Chen when he wrote this sort of thing that I read. He said, we live in a culture today where we are used to evaluating and giving our opinion on everything, whether it is from pizza we ate to the Uber driver to movies we saw or to friends' pictures on social media. Everything is set up for us to be able to critique and to compare. So in the church, rather than marveling at the incredible mystery that we are part of God's body, we critique the leadership, the music, the programs, and everything else we can think of. We point out the flaws in our pastor's sermons with the same conviction that we would critique a movie star acting in our favourite film or or a football loss. Just could it be that we are taking a sledgehammer to the temple that we should be belong to? Yeah. This struck me, yeah, this struck a chord with me, you know what I mean? I think that, again, we need to start to think of church as not just this building, but also the, the importance it is that we, how we act amongst each other, to each other, yeah? What does Christ actually say about the church, yeah? In Matthew 16, 18, he says, and this is him talking to Peter, yeah, giving him what will happen in the future. And I tell you that, um, sorry, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades yeah, will not come against you. Yeah? So do we believe these truths? Do we believe that when we meet together that no destruction will come? Because if you look around the world, I think there are many, many places that the church needs to be. And if you think about the church being us, then we need to be in those places. What does Paul say about the church? In 1 Peter Two, four to six. The living stones and the chosen people. <clears throat> As you come to him, the living stones, yeah? Again, just that principle that we are living stones, yeah? Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and uh, um, precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices um, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scriptures it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the ones who trust in him will never be put to shame. That's us. Yeah? 
We work with God and we work with all the people in the past to continue to build the church of God. And I think that it's interesting at the last bit there where it says you will never be put to shame. What, ha- what was the first emotion Adam and Eve had when they left the garden? Shame, wasn't it? First thing, yeah? That's a whole sermon in itself. Again, we are living, living stones of God, yes? Yeah? Stable, but also set apart for a purpose for people. Now, I know this is a very simple truth, and I'm probably telling you stuff that you already know, but I think that it's important for us to actually take a grasp of how important the church is, okay, and the concept of the church. Because I think it's like many things in life. If we don't make it important, it will not be important. It's like your marriage. If you don't put your marriage up as something that's important and don't fight for it, it won't last. And I'm at that sort of age in my life where I say that all the time. If your friendships are not important to you, you won't maintain your friendships, okay? If church is not important to you, then church will be nothing, Okay, church will be somewhere where you come, you listen to people, probably get to know the people and go home. But again, if it's something that you actually see that that other person you're with is building that church of God that he wants, then that's a whole different ball game. Okay. So, what about church as a building? Does it really matter? Should we really come here anymore? If we're just a church, why do we have to come to a building? I'll just go out and hang at home on the weekend. Hopefully I'll run into someone else who's a Christian as well. Not at all. Okay, I think there are great things and there are huge things that happen when we actually meet together. Just because we can not have to meet together doesn't mean that you should. Yeah, And there's a whole bunch of reasons why you should. I'll just give you a few. Praising God. Okay, One of the main things you should be able to do when you're in this house is to be able to praise God. And thank goodness the worship team help us do that every week. And I, I do thank them immensely. Certainly a skill that I do not have. And I love that when they just take you to that place. Testimonies. Yeah, We should be able to share testimonies about how we've actually overcome things in our week. How we've actually overcome Satan. In Revelation 12, 11 it says this. This is talking about Christ and how he's overcome things. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They do not love their lives so much that they shrink from death. Yeah, We should be up here each week encouraging each other how much we have done. Okay, Because the world doesn't understand any of what we do. Third thing for the house is it should be a place of correction. Yay. Everyone's, <laughs> hey? Everyone's into that, eh? Yes. Woo! Place for correction. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. I'm going to back things, yeah? All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Yeah? That's what this place is for. If Sarah... Not, not just for... But part of it should be. Yeah, if Sawyer and Josh and leadership and stuff don't correct us in love, yeah, they're missing out on a large part of their calling. Yeah? <laughs> it's a good thing, eh? Yeah, the house shouldn't be a place where we just come and sing songs and we get some good advice, yeah? It should be a place where we are trained and equipped for all of those things in life, yeah? And that only happens when we actually challenge and stuff like that. But that has to be done on the basis of a relationship, Yeah? But some of us, we get offended, we walk in offence, we walk off, we don't sort of stay the course, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, though, that's what this place should be. It should be a place that makes us better to be able to fight the true things, which I'll talk about soon. Fourth thing, maintain relationships, yeah? 
The longer that I go along in this walk, the more I realize relationships are so important. I used to feel guilty when I first came to church because my main reason was coming to church was relationship with people. I didn't come to sort of be corrected. <laughs> but I sort of came because of relationships and most of the time. And one of the things that is true that I love so much is keeping up relationships. And I think in this day and age, it is so important that we keep up these relationships, yeah? Because many, many people get isolated in this life, which is really quite strange. The more we're connected, the more we're isolated. And I think that sort of God's love and his intervention need to be in many people's lives. The only way you do that is being in relationship with people. There are many great reasons to be in church, but that's some of them, yeah. But I think that if we are truly living stones of God's temple, yeah, that we need to take God's presence everywhere we go, yeah. We need to help the church stand in the dark places, yeah, not just this building on a Sunday. Yeah, it doesn't need to be just... And I like, um, what's his name of uh, Hillsong, Bill, by Brian. Brian, he says that Sunday, Sunday church is the window dressing. Yeah, pretty much window dressing. And I like that. That's, I think, you know, it shouldn't be nothing, but it certainly shouldn't be everything that we do and the only thing that we do. So as living stones of the church, let's get a bit positive, shall we? Is everyone okay? <laughs> Heavy stuff, eh? Terrible, aren't I? So as living, church, uh, living stones of God and stuff, what should we look like? Yeah? What should we actually look like to people? What, how should we be? Now, this is obviously a huge topic, so you could obviously pick a million things, but I've got Swelly's top five. There's obviously loads more, but this is my top five, okay? You can have your own top five. Come and tell me about it next week. First, we should be people of the word. Yeah, we should know the Bible. And I really like what Mark said last week, that even when Christ was challenged in the desert and he was tempted, the first thing that came out of his mouth, it is written. Yeah, it is written. We should be people who understand and know the Bible. If we truly want to follow God, then we need to understand him. And again, I was saying to people before prepped this morning in church, is that I like to actually challenge myself around some of these scriptures that don't sound all lovely, okay? Because every scripture that is in this Bible is here for a reason. Yeah, though it may be challenging at times, sometimes you just need to dig a bit deeper and pray to God and find out what it is. Okay, some of the things you should know about. You should know about the covenants that God has made with people. Okay, his plan for mankind. Now, covenant is another way of saying the partnership. He wants to partner with us. Okay, there was a partnership of the way it was and then that was broken and then there's a, there's a partnership sort of the way things are now. Okay, and in the past, he's made agreements with people like Noah, okay, where he said after the, after the earth, I will never flood it again. That's what a rainbow is. Every time you see a rainbow, you should be thankful, yeah? Abraham, he's going to be the family of people, yeah? He's going to bless his family. Israel, um, to the nation of Israel, he gave commandments and he gave God's reputation. And to King David, he gave him justice, okay? Then you read on further and you know that there's a new covenant where Christ fulfilled all of those agreements, Okay, and again, these are things that we should know about. And we should certainly know about God's promises. Yeah? And there are so many. Here's just a few, just so you can understand what I mean when I talk about God's promises. He will fight for you. He will give you strength when you are weary. He will carry your burdens. He will dispel fears. Be with you through all the trials. He loves you unconditionally. No weapons formed against you will prevail. God's spirit is inside you gives you godly wisdom, gives you the power to resist the devil, leadership over people. He affects events on earth and in heaven, never will forsake you. He knows you intimately before you were born and he has given his son, has, um, he has given his son to regain you and he has a plan and purpose for your life. The list goes on. 
That is a very, very short list of all of the things that this Bible says about how God feels about you. And do we let these things speak into our daily, daily lives and over our situations? When we're going through things that are really bad, do we let these promises of God stand over them? Or do we let the things that are around us affect us too much? There are many, many things in there that I think that we really need to know that will help us. Do we wake up each day and see ourselves the way God does or do we focus on how we don't match up? I'll say that again. Do we wake up each morning and see ourselves as God does or do we wake up and say how much we, ma- how we don't match up? Sometimes we're our own worst enemies. Yeah? We need to see ourselves as God sees us. And again, there's the power of the word, okay? The power of the word is unbelievable. Yeah, it spoke universes into existence, and that's inside you, which again is just a mind-blowing concept, yeah? I think that you think... And again, I think we never underestimate the power of the word and speaking it into people's lives. I think it's a huge thing when we speak into people's lives. And again, you don't always have to talk about Jesus to people, but we need to be speaking godly principles and godly things into people's lives. And I think it's, it's interesting. I was just musing this morning. I think it's hilarious. It's not hilarious. It's very sad, really, that probably the most kindest things that are ever said about a person, sometimes they're at their funeral. Yeah? Sometimes those people need to hear those things before they die. <clears throat> Side point. Second, we need to be people who know, who know who Jesus is. Yeah? We need to know who Jesus is. Okay, and I love what Liz said last week when she was talking about communion, that we serve a servant king, okay? He put, he put, um, um, he put himself above others, okay? Um, ourselves above others and instead of putting ourselves above others he put himself above everyone else okay he was a servant king though he didn't needed to be like that he put everyone else above okay and I think if we did that there'd be far less problems in the world and again if you think about the last time you had a problem with someone if you put them above yourself or put them first you probably wouldn't have had the problem I know that (laughs) that was last week yeah for me you know what I mean, sometimes when we get problems with things, it's because we become selfish. Okay, I think if we put other people above and if we think of the example of Christ, most of the time we won't have a problem. Understand his sacrifice. Why did Jesus die on the cross? You can answer this. Why did he die on the cross? No wrong answers. To restore a relationship, absolutely. He was there to make a way back to God, wasn't he? So that then we could gain sons and daughters, okay? Again, he didn't do it so that he could pay for our sins or we could just get into heaven. It wasn't about that. Though he had to pay for our sins and stuff, and yes, we do get eternal life, that wasn't the reason he did it. The reason he did it is because we could make a way back to him. How did it make God feel when Jesus was on the cross? He actually rejoiced. Yeah, go back into Isaiah. And he actually rejoiced that God, Christ, that his son was bruised. Why? Why would God? When I first read that, I was like, are you kidding? Yeah. But the reason that God was joyous at that point in time when his son was being punished is because he was regaining more sons and daughters. Yeah. The reason that he was happy with that is because it gave him great pleasure, it says that they actually brought him back, yeah? Now, again, there's many things that God gets blamed for, earthquakes and all sorts of things, but the one thing that he did do is he put his son on the cross, yeah? And that was for us, okay? Christ died because of the value that he saw in you and me, not because of our sin. 
He died because of the value that's in you. Yeah? And sometimes I think sometimes I've always heard the other side, you know, where it's just he died for my sins and, you know, he took all them away. Which is, yes, there was a price to be paid, but it was because he was, that God was regaining sons and daughters and that's how come he was joyous. So again, I think we need to understand who Christ was and what has he done for us. Three, we are children of God, yeah, and we become disciples. We need to truly understand that and be thankful that we are children of God. It says in 1 John 3, 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Um, and that is, that, is, that is what you are. The reason the world does not know you is because they don't know him. Yeah? So the reality is it's great love that he has lavished on us that we get to be a child of God. Okay? And again, that concept is just huge when you actually really think about it and play it out. And again, if people knew who God was, what we did would be very natural. <laughs> yeah? The way we are and what we talk about and the way we do things, if people actually knew God, it would be very natural. And again, I think that is in most people's hearts. <clears throat> we are called... To an eternal family. Again, yeah, we just need to think about that, that this isn't the end, yeah? Death isn't the end of things. We are called to an eternal family. Um, and again, do when we walk past people, do we see that eternal person in everyone around us? Yeah? It's a challenging thought, yeah? To see that eternal person in someone. <clears throat> and again, I think that if we understand that we're part of God's family, then we need to lead with love. That needs to be the thing that we lead with. It should never be that we lead with anger or condemnation or whatever the reality is we need to lead with love because that's who God is do and it says that we will do greater things in Christ yeah now if you actually read what it says Christ did they said there's not enough books for us to write down what Christ had done but the reality is then he says you will do greater things so as the church as people who meet together who bring God's presence we are we will do greater things than he did which blows my mind and again we just must remember that God that death is not the end yeah um, and again, I think sometimes we really focus on this, yeah? We, um, again, and, and long life isn't a sign of God's blessing, okay? Living a long time isn't a sign of God's blessing. And I think sometimes we pray for this all of the time. And I work in a job that is dedicated to pro prolonging people's lives at all costs. And I think sometimes as humans, and please don't take this the wrong way, but we get obsessed with death, yeah? We get obsessed with that anything that's a blessing must be that we live longer. And that's not always the case, Genesis 5, 22 to 24. This is listing the people from, um, from Adam to Noah, okay? And then it says, After became a father, Mil, um, Methuselah, um, Enoch walked faithfully with God for 300 years and, um, sorry, and had another son and daughter. Although Enoch lived to a total of 365 years, Enoch walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. I'm not going to go into the whole God took him away because that's a whole thing in itself. But the reality was you think, oh, 365 days, that's a long time. But if you look at the people either side of um, Enoch, they lived for 900 years, 700, 900, 800 years. Now, you might look at Enoch. He was a person who walked with God, and he only lived for 365. What happened? Why was that? Why did he have such a short life? Yeah? So long, sometimes long life is not actually the best thing. It's about how we walk and what we do when we're walking with God, yeah? And again, we are all called to love God more than ourselves. Again, these are challenging concepts I'm bringing to you. Let's look in Luke 14, 25 to 27. The cost of being a disciple. 
Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned to them and he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate their father or mother, wife or children, brother or sister, less even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. It's a challenging scripture. Another one, just thought I'd throw that in for today. It's challenging, isn't it? But this is what God's asking us to do. We are called to love God more than our family, more than our own life. Yeah, now that's a challenging thing. But again, that's where God wants us to put him. Okay, now let me tell you, you go, oh, that's a bit harsh and stuff like that. But the reality is I think that anything that takes us away from God, anything that we put above God, yeah, it will have a landing place or a stronghold for the devil, yeah? Anything you put above him, if busyness is your thing, then you'll never have enough time. If money is your thing, you'll never have enough money, yeah? If information, then you will gossip and that will be your, that will what you trade in. I think the reality is anything that we put above God will take us away from him and will sort of lead us to a destruction, basically. And I know that sometimes it is, you think to yourself, really God above everything, but that's really what he calls us to do. Four. We need to be people that are led by the Holy Spirit, yeah? And that's God inside you. I'm not going to go into that as a big, deep thing, but that's just God inside you. We need to be people that have God inside us that lead us, okay? If you look at Paul when he walked around and stuff, his ministry and stuff like that, he basically was led by the Holy Spirit everywhere he went, okay? And it told him, don't go there, go there, go here, go there. Now, did he always walk into a good place? No, he walked into some dodgy places sometimes, didn't he? But that was still led by the Holy Spirit. And again, I think if we are all led personally by the Holy Spirit, then it allows God to orchestrate all of our talents. You may look around a church sometimes and think, why am I in this room with this group of people? I'm sure you guys look at me all the time and say that. But we all look around and you think, well, that person's nothing like me. Okay, I'm not together. Well, what are we doing? This is, they, they, those sort of people are nothing like me. And I always think that's a great thing because what God's doing is orchestrating a group of people to bring all of their talents together, yeah? Because there are many things in this room of people that can do things that I can't do. And again, hopefully I have some things that other people. So I think at the end of the day, if we all walk personally with God, then he will orchestrate things for us. And we need to be people that are not swayed easily, yeah? We need to be people that are a bit robust, yeah, I'm big on being robust. It says in Ephesians 6.12, for our, sorry, this is the verse before, Ephesians 4.14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by any cunning and craftiness of people and deceitful scheming. Yeah, we need to be people that are just, we know ourselves. We know the Bible. We know who we are. We know who God, what God says about us. So we're not people that are swayed easily from one way or the other. And we must remember that our problems are never with people. Yeah? Our, people, our problems are never with people. Even if you have a problem with a person, it isn't a person. Again, Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggles are not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of darkness of this world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So when we see things, even things that are horrendous in a person, we need to see that that isn't that person, yeah? That it is dark, the dark realm in people, okay? And that's a different way of looking at things, okay? That gives you grace in people's lives when you talk to them and people who do things that are horrendous, yeah? These are the people we should be as these living stones of God. And the fifth one, we need to be people of truth. 
And we need to know God's truth because there's a whole lot of truth out there, isn't there? And truth can be very relevant to who's saying it. But the reality is there are godly truths that are above all these things, yeah? Who is my biggest enemy? Me. Absolutely. I am my biggest enemy. Yeah? I will be harder on myself than any other person will be. And why does it say, and let me tell you a little secret, okay? This is a little secret. You guys probably already know it. It's not about me. It's about Christ in me. Yeah? Does that make sense? It's not about me. It's actually about Christ in me. That's what my whole life should be about. How does he work out of me? And again, it says in the Bible that the truth will set you free. Why does it, why does it say that it'll set you free? Because it'll set you free from your own thoughts and your own feelings. Yeah? And as humans, we tend to catastrophize things, yeah? We seem to make things far worse than they really are, yeah? And I think about back to my parents' time, they had problems. Our problems these days, one of the worst things we'll ever face is our mobile phone having 3%. Yeah, charge. That'll be a big problem for us these days. Yeah, but the reality is we need to be people who walk by faith, not by our feelings. Yeah, because I think many of us, our feelings and our natural urges have lied to us for a while and probably I would say to you from birth. No one needs to learn how to be angry, how to be jealous, how to be prideful, how to be envious, how to have shame. Yeah, think of ourselves first. This is... Adam's world that we're born into, yeah? Not what God actually wanted for us to be born into, yeah? So I think these things come very natural to us. So I think when you say that the word sets you free, that's how it does. Sets you free. Sets you free from yourself, which is probably the worst person. Okay. We need to be people that know that trials and are God punishing us, yeah? We need to know that when things happen to us, whether it be good or bad, it's not a punishment of stuff from God, okay? And at the end of the day, when we have things that go bad for us, we should have a greater revelation of who God is. That's what will come out the other end of it. And if many of us in this room think about our biggest trials in our life, they will be the things that built the biggest things in you. It won't be how everything was cracking along wonderfully and you became a better person. If you think about things that have built strength in you and stuff, it'll be because you've gone through trials, the other day, I had a great example of this. My dad had a burst water pipe, so I had to go and fix it, and I was digging up. Anyone dug through roots? Everyone loved digging through roots of a tree? Great fun, yeah? Anyway, a couple of hours have dug this up, and we fixed it all and stuff like that. Now, that could have been looked as a disaster and stuff, but afterwards, my dad says, I've got two beers in the fridge. Do you want to come and have one? Sure. And then I sat with him for probably about another hour or so and just really talked through life, asked lots of questions about my past that I didn't know and stuff, and it was amazing. I come out the other side of it so blessed. Yeah, to spend this time with my father. Did you know that when I was, I, was, I was adopted when I was a kid and I was in the hospital and they said to him, oh, we've got a kid for you. And he goes, yeah, cool. And then they said, you don't have to take him, though. He's got a mark on his head. <laughs> if you don't want to, you don't have to take him and stuff. So anyway, four of my family all come and had a look at me just to make sure that I was okay. That's hectic, isn't it? Just to think that they would have gone, no, I don't want you. And I could have just ended up with a whole different family. Anyway, that's fun. But again, it was just these things about, the, you know, you could have easily looked at that as a bad thing. And at the end of the day, it turned out to be probably an awesome thing for me, yeah? So again, let's not be people that get caught up in something's being a blessing or a curse, yeah? Just remember the time you pray for a green light, someone's getting a red light. For the time that you pray for a car park at the front, someone's got one at the back, yeah? <laughs> That's harsh. But let's be people that actually pray for things that are really important, yeah? 
Now, there is one thing that God does say, that he says, I'm going to give you a blessing, and I think it's really overlooked. Again, it's in the Bible, clearly. In Ecclesiastes 5, 18 and 19. This is what I observe to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in their toils and labor under the sun during the few days life has given, God has given them. For this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. The gift that God does give to you is joy in your daily work and enjoying eating and drinking and being with your family. That's what he actually gives you as a gift. Yeah? The simplicity. Joy in the simplest of things. Says the small things matter. Well, it's true. Okay, in summary, we're at the end, it's okay. Is everyone all right? Oh, it's just morning, eh? Just as we have, um, I think just as we have things that are important in our lives, we must remember that God also has things in his life that are important. And I think that these are things like his presence on earth. And again, I think we need to understand that we are called to be part of that living, breathing church, yeah, that is part of God's plan, okay? And we need to be people too that don't, let bad outcomes guide our next bad decision and action, yeah? Let us not be people that if something goes poorly, then we go, okay, oh, that's terrible, let's, yeah? Because there's many things in life that go bad. And I think that we need to be people who bring the presence of God into those bad situations, not be people who shy away. If we don't stand in the places that are needed, God's presence may not, and death and destruction will, Yeah? Now, this isn't always in terrible places far off, yeah? And as Lisa said the other week and stuff in her amazing sort of preach, is that these things are close to home in people's families, yeah? Look at domestic violence. It is just so ridiculously rife, yeah? So these things are not far off. The dark places are close to hand. And as we are a church, let us be highly respectful of each other, yeah? Let us be God's people who know the Word, who know Christ, who knows what it is to be a child of God and a disciple of God. Let us be led by the Holy Spirit and work um, together in godly truth. Yeah. And again, just remember, God will give us a blessing in our daily life. Okay, so my last scripture to finish is in Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. As a prisoner, this is Paul talking in prison, yeah. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. May every effort, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace. This is who we should be. This is what we should be known for, and this is the way we should be with each other. Okay, so um, for some of you in the room, I, you may have made no sense today, but hopefully for some of you it's just brought to light, I think, sort of sometimes the way we should think about church. And again, if anyone's new to the faith and stuff, again, don't be overwhelmed by this today. Um, It's a long journey, okay? Um, And again, if there's one thing that I hope that you do take away is that, you know, God does value you for who you are and he wants to be with you through the highs and lows. Um, And again, that, you know, ultimately he's always had in mind a relationship with you. So I'll just like you to bow your head quickly and I'll just have a prayer for people. Lord, I thank you so much that you have given us your son. Lord, I thank you that he has paid the price for us on the cross, but ultimately he was bringing us a way back to him, Lord, back to you, Lord. And again, that I just 
that we are people that get to understand what it is to have church, Lord, that we are the people that when we are together, we make church, Lord. And again, I just thank you so much for that blessing. Let us be people that are respectful of that. Let us be living stones, Lord. Let us be people that are of your word and that know you and intimately walk with you. And we thank you for these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.